From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is Climate Change Will Kill You, a special series from 7am. So do you feel like um, you're a victim of a climate change disaster? Um... Journalist Paddy Manning has spent the past year talking to the families of some of the first casualties of the climate crisis. I sort of yelled out, grab Zach first, don't worry about me. And they grab Zach and then he goes, oh, well, you know, it's only deep right under you, but up on the road we're only waist deep. So that's when I jumped out of the tree, went under and then bloody. This series, inspired by his book Body Count, is about them. Yeah. So it's like uh, Bly calls that an inland tsunami. Tsunami, like, yeah. Is that the way you think of it? Wall of water or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Just one big, big push. Big wall of water. So, right. Yeah. This is episode two, Flood. Paddy, we're starting this story in Grantham, which is a small town in rural Queensland. Can you tell me a bit about what it was like when you visited? So it's a town of a few hundred people, about 100 kilometres west of Brisbane. There's uh, a couple of sheds, uh, you know, farm equipment sold out of one. Otherwise, you know, there's the fire, um, rural fire service, you know, shed up on the hill and houses dotted about the place. But there's there's no real centre to it. I, I went past, stopped at the one cafe I could see, the floating cafe it's called, uh, for obvious reasons, on the floodplain there, and went inside and sure enough there's a wall full of clippings from the floods and the aftermath. Pretty sad little display actually. Let's talk about those floods, Paddy. What was it like in Grantham in 2011 when they hit? Still dotted through the old town site are the haunting reminders of that fateful January afternoon. It had been raining up there for weeks and weeks. The ground in Grantham was sodden. It couldn't absorb any more water. And then after just an intense period of rain, this flash flood started up in Toowoomba and then raced down. There are cars up trees. There's a house in the in town where people don't know where the house came from. And Swiftwater... Two hours after the flash flood hit Toowoomba, the wall of water as high as three metres hit Grantham. Now in Grantham, it is a scene of utter devastation. As the deadly floodwaters surged through the town, reducing a neighbouring house to rubble and carrying the three people who were sheltering there to their deaths. Grantham suffered one of the most incredible floods that Australia had ever seen. It was described by the state's police commissioner as an inland tsunami. And uh, Grantham was completely unprepared. People got individual warnings from from friends and, and relatives that were further up the valley, and that's just, that's luck of the draw. A weather gauge at the Heliden uh, Bridge registered an enormous rise in the Lockyer Creek, but the computer system automatically discounted it as inaccurate. By the time the Bureau realised the readings were actually correct, it was too late. With all the access to media, computer, radio, there should have been warning. They 
couldn't actually give you a definitive answer on something as simple as, well, should I stay or should I go? So Grantham had no warning. And I spoke to Danny Maguire, who survived that flood, and he remembers the moment clearly. Okay, so that's recording now. I'll just hopefully. Brilliant. All right, can you talk there? I'll just check the levels. Danny Maguire. Good on you. Can you tell me a bit about Danny and and what he was doing in the hours that led up to the moment that that wave hit his town? Yeah, so Danny lived on the floodplain with his partner, Link, and their three kids, um, Jocelyn, Zach, and Gary. And this boy, Zach, he's he's not a boy anymore. (laughs) Zach, he's the middle one. Yeah. Yeah. He's um, 16 now, so. 16 now. Yeah. And uh, Grantham had been flooding gently the way it always flooded. And Danny and Link, they both had swift water rescue training. Uh, they had both been working over the last 24 hours uh, pulling cars out of floodwaters. And you said the water was up to? Halfway up the doors. Okay. On the Isuzu, so. And is that, at that point, are you worried or is it, nah. have you had it up? No, nah, I'd had it higher, so yeah. Right. So they were both exhausted and Danny after you know rescuing he'd rescued about three different vehicles uh, including one of the fire trucks that had got itself into trouble. And he goes holy shit. And I'm going well mate that, that's how it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And when I dropped him off to- after working all night um he'd gone in for a sleep on the morning uh and was then woken up by his neighbor who came and said look and was pointing at this wall of water coming towards them, literally with a house floating on the top of it. He said, look, and we looked across the paddock and all you could see was a bloody house coming in the water. And I said, well, I'm out of here. And he goes, yeah, same in here. And he grabbed his... The problem was the fire truck he'd been using to do the rescues was still, it was still tied to one of the other vehicles that he'd rescued. And he had to, you know, with only seconds to spare... He had to cut that strap and get Link and the family and the kids into the fire truck and turn it around, do a three-point turn and get out of his front driveway before this wall of water came. I picked Link up, got back just on the bitumen and then a wave of water hit me, so, yeah. And I stood there with him and he, he, he showed me exactly where the water came from, how it hit the culvert. It hit with such force, it jumped the road and, and came down on top of his fire truck. My window was already down and I said to Link, try and get your window down because it's all electric. Yep. Uh, it wouldn't go down. And next minute, uh, the truck got spun again and Zach was beside me, so I grabbed him and threw him. There was a tree coming. I threw Zach out and I said, climb, buddy. And he climbed and I said, don't stop, just keep going to the top. And then, you know, Link was screaming because she couldn't get the window down. You know, uh, next minute I went to grab Jossie because she was next and, yeah, I got sucked out of the truck and I ended up getting smashed up against the last tree in the street. Danny's wife, Link, and the two kids uh, didn't make it. They drowned. And so what about Zach and Danny? 
Zach had hung on to the branches of a tree, like Danny can't swim either, so they're in separate trees, uh, clinging on for dear life, shouting out to each other. You could hear each other? Yeah. Right. And all he kept asking was, where's mum and that? And I said, yeah. mate, I don't know where the truck is. I said, hopefully she got out, yeah. I wasn't going to tell him different. Yeah. And By now it was late in the evening uh, when they were actually finally rescued by people. There were people walking back along the road with um, flashlights uh, and told Danny to jump. I said, yelled out, grab Zach first, don't worry about me. And they grabbed Zach and then he goes, oh, well, you know, it's only deep right under you, but up on the road we're only waist deep. So that's when I jumped out of the tree, went under it. It's hard to imagine the fear and, you know, the um, sadness of... <sighs> it is devastating, Paddy. That's, that's half a family gone. Yeah. And so, Paddy, what role did climate change play in causing these floods, do we know? We now know that climate change was a major factor, uh, but it took a lot of years for that science to come in. You can't say that, you know, any particular event is caused by climate change, but you can say that climate change made it more likely or more severe. And that's certainly the case with the Queensland floods of 2011. We'll be back in a moment. Paddy, after those floods in Queensland, there was a lot of debate about what caused them and whether climate change really did play a role. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, well, the, almost immediately there was a debate about whether the floods were linked to global warming. Senator Joyce, good morning. Welcome to breakfast. Good morning, Fran. Uh, we'll get to the climate change debate in a moment. For example, Barnaby Joyce, a Queensland National Senator, told journalists it was the wrong time to talk about it. You know, he said it was just nature, quote unquote. Do you agree the coalition recognises the world is warming, humans have an impact on that warming? Well, certainly that the world is warming and uh, at some other point I imagine it'll be cooling and then for the one thing I can assure you, uh, Fran, is it's not staying the same and it never has and never will. And, you know, the debate would only piss people off who are, you know, right then dealing with the, uh, you know, consequences of the flooding. Uh, it's neither going to get warmer nor colder nor stay the same by reason of the actions of Australia. What you can do is do immense damage to your economy. What you definitely will do is make people poorer and those who are doing it tough will have less money because of, a, of basically a frolic that you went on that they never now, agreed now to. Now, all of that, of course, is what the government... On the other hand, economist Ross Garno, who was then climate change advisor to the Gillard Labor government, went public saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. A warming climate does lead to intensification of the sorts of extreme climatic events that we've seen in Queensland given the planet had only warmed by one degree on average and was on track to warm by somewhere between three and four degrees. Uh, and uh, I think that people are wishing to avoid those awful uh, challenges in Queensland will be amongst the people uh, uh, supporting effective action on climate change. So, you know, the, the climate wars broke out again. It just became another sort of he-said-she-said said argument between politicians uh, and... You know, the voice of scientists, the voice of doctors was not present. 
Right. But what was the science saying? You know, the thing about science is that careful science takes time. And it was only, you know, a few years later, in late 2015, that researchers felt able to pronounce on whether and to what extent the Queensland floods of 2011 could be attributed to climate change. So a paper in a peer-reviewed journal, Geophysical Research Letters, confirmed that background warming had increased the likelihood of the extreme rainfall that caused the 2011 floods that dumped so much water it caused the global sea levels to drop by seven millimetres. And what does Danny, someone who lost most of his family in these floods, think about the, the role of climate change in this? So what do you think about the role of climate change? Yeah, it's it's changing, but it's changing back to its old cycles like when I was a kid and that. Well, I think that it, it, is, it is linked to Danny's uh, view that if the climate is changing, it's going back to the way it was when he was a kid. Like everyone's complaining now, you know, this is a bad fire season and that. Uh, yeah, it is. But this is how it was when I was 15, 16. Right. Then when you find out... So if you don't believe that the planet is hotting up and that there is going to be increasing risk of extreme rainfall and therefore flash flooding, um, then you might be more prepared to build on a floodplain. And that is the case in Grantham, where Danny wants to rebuild the family home, which is a beautiful old Queenslander that sits right where the 2011 flood came racing through, you know, with a wall of water. Whereas the council is saying we need to recognise the risk and build on higher ground. And they've tried, you know, they've got a new subdivision and hundreds of new homes that they're trying to build higher up. But Danny doesn't want to live there. What about Zach? Uh, Yeah, when it comes up his mum's birthday and that, he won't do nothing. Yeah. It just plays up. But he wants to move back down to the house that he used to live in. Yeah. Yeah. That's all he wants. You know, the communities, they take a long time to recover. King Lake, that was devastated in the Black Saturday fires, you know, sent a convoy of people, of volunteers up after the 2011 floods to Grantham because they recognised that he was another small town struck by a, you know, unprecedented extreme weather event and reeling, you know, in the aftermath. So it's a, it's a complicated, you know, discussion it shows that basically communities need leadership from the government and recognising the risk from increased flooding due to, you know, warming is part of that. And in Danny's case, if he doesn't believe that the planet is getting hotter, then why would he not, you know, rebuild on his back on the floodplain? If he doesn't believe that climate change is happening or that it's causing increased flooding risk, then he would you know, he would be perfectly happy to go back where he was. So, Paddy, last episode we were talking about the increasing intensity of bushfires and how that's making parts of Australia impossible to live in. And I'm wondering if extreme weather events, things like the floods that happen in Queensland, are also having a comparable impact on communities. Do you think that it is starting to feel like nowhere in Australia is really a safe place to live? Yes, I think it is. We have an extremely variable climate and, you know, whether it's the higher risk from heatwave in the, up in the Northern Territory rendering 
parts of the Territory unlivable. Uh, we've got a higher risk of drought uh, that's going to undermine, you know, our agriculture and in particular in the regions. We've got the risk of bushfire, you know, escalating. We've got the risks from flood. At the coast, we've got rising sea levels and we've got in our suburbs a lot of homes that have been built, especially in the last 20 years, which are not well designed to cope with heat and which are completely reliant on, on air conditioning, uh, which can fail, you know, with deadly consequences. So it is the reality that Australia has a lot at stake here. And if we want to, you know, look after ourselves and our children, we're going to have to face up to the risks that global warming presents. And is the the solution to this, as you were alluding to before, is it about leadership having having leadership on this? Yes, I think that, you know, a consequence of the kind of climate wars that we've been having in federal politics for the last, you know, decade or more uh, is that your governments haven't levelled with the Australian people about the danger that we're facing. There is a public awareness exercise that needs to happen here and that we need to rethink the way we uh, plan, build and, you know, design our cities. That was Paddy Manning, the author of Body Count, which inspired this series. Next week on the final episode of Climate Change Will Kill You, we look at the relationship between climate change and disease. If you don't already subscribe to 7am, follow us in your favourite podcast app so that you don't miss out. I'm Ruby Jones. Thanks for listening.